0: My name is Dr. Kimberly Wiley. I teach organizational leadership and nonprofits for the Department of Family, Youth, and Community Sciences at the University of Florida. In this podcast, I offer lessons from our course readings to support knowledge building and skill mastery in nonprofit leadership and management. In this podcast, we'll talk about building board diversity in nonprofit organizations, using a generative governance approach. Grab your board recruitment matrix and your readings and let's get started. So one day I was sitting in Panera, getting ready for class and I overheard a conversation on the table beside me. Normally I don't eavesdrop on conversations near me at coffee shops and cafes, Um, but they were sitting right next to me and I couldn't help but overhear. The Tiwa was filled with about five or six white local individuals. I could tell they were from the area. Uh, they were about 50, 60 years old. Um, and they were talking about their, um, their board, their nonprofit board. And it was clear from the conversation of some type, some type of religious organization. And they were talking about building board diversity. And so I was curious. Though I tried to focus on my grading, they were pretty chatty and noisy next to me, so I kept hearing their conversation. And I, I wondered if they knew they had a nonprofit management professor sitting at the table next to them, what questions they might ask. So I'm framing up my, what my response might be to them kind of based on the questions that would be good questions to ask. first question would be: how diverse are boards? What is their, their makeup? So, from the article in MPQ that I shared about inclusive boards, they say that the Urban Institute, Francie Astrar, noted in a national survey of nonprofit governance in the United States that 86% of board members are white, non-Latino, and a mere 7% are African American or black, and 3.5% are Latino. In a survey of nonprofit boards from across Canada, They found that the majority of board members were between 30 and 60 years old, and 44% were women. Almost 28% of the organizations indicated that there was at least one person with a disability on their board, while 22.4% of those surveyed had board members who was openly lesbian, gay, or bisexual. Only 13% of board members were what in Canada are termed visible minorities or persons of color. My next question would be, how diverse is my board? Let's take a look at the board recruitment matrix created by BoardSource. You see this two-page document helps us look at who is on our board right now. We can look at their skills, um, their personal styles, and their demographics. Now, from a fiduciary sense, we may want to look at our bylaws to see type of board members we're required to have on the board based on our rules. And from a strategic approach to board governance, we may look at what we have planned for the future and what type of resources we have on hand now and who we might need to recruit to the board and who might fill those needs. From a generative approach, we might look at our our board members currently, and our board members that we're looking for in the future, and kind of ask: what Values do these folks bring to the table? What experience do, experiences do they bring, and how can they help us develop our our board further? So, when we look at the age breakdown, the gender breakdown, the race breakdown, we might begin to question: Is there a value in these breakdowns? Um, in this matrix here, we have the age spread of 19 years old to 34 years old. If we were to have somebody in that age range check off the box that they're a part of our board, um, we could step back and look at what value a 19 or a 20 year old might bring versus a 33 or 34 year old brings. And those are quite, there's quite an age spread there and both individuals would bring different value to the board. Um, With gender, we may wanna spread beyond male and female and look at uh, non-binary folks and keep them involved and look at the mission area of our organization and what value might folks of different ages, different genders, and different races bring to developing our mission and understanding what value we want to bring to the community. So this board matrix really is a starting point that you could then adapt based on what you're looking for in your board and then to stop back and look at your board um, introspectively, my next question is, how do I know if my board is representative? there's a number of places you can look. You can look in your local community's census data. What, what is the demographic breakdown in your local community? You can look at your organization's employees and volunteer volunteer lists. you can, by assessing human resource data, look at your current service population. Look at the performance data for the organization. Who are you serving? So you began with the census data. You look at who's in your organization, but then look closely at who is in your service population. And then the next step is who is your intended service population? Not who you're serving today, but who you intend to serve. And you can look at broad community indicators. Depending on the mission area of your organization, it may be health indicators, education indicators, crime indicators. So I did an assessment once when I was working with um, domestic violence victims in the state of Florida, and I wanted to see how representative our body of staff and volunteers and board members were compared to um, those that we served. Now, when I was looking at domestic violence, um, just so we're all clear on the definition here, domestic violence means any assault, aggravated assault, battery, aggravated battery, sexual assault, sexual battery, stalking, aggravated stalking, kidnapping, false imprisonment, or any criminal offenses resulting in physical injury or death of one family or household member by another family or household member. And so... At the time, I was developing programs to serve older women who had experienced domestic violence. So this means any type of family member who was committing violence against um, the victim. And so the first thing was I looked at the community size. Now, in Florida, we have 3.1 million women over 60 years old. So it's 28% of our population. And then I looked at organization and uh, volunteer ages. So what I found was a majority of those employed at our domestic violence centers and the majority of those volunteering were women ages 20 to 45. So the majority of folks weren't in the same age range as the body of individuals that we needed to serve. Now, the current service population for the domestic violence centers in Florida, I found was 3.5% of total service population. We were only serving about 1,900 women each year. Um, who were 60 years or older? Now remember, there's 3.1 um, million women 60 years or older in Florida, and we were serving about 1,900. Now, domestic violence statistics tell us that a lot more women than 1,900 are experiencing domestic violence. Um, our intended population was this: this uh, 41, 47% of all women who are age 60 and older, had experienced at least one type of abuse since the age of 55, according to Fisher and Reagan. So what do these numbers indicate about board diversity and inclusion? It means that we need to make sure that if we want to have a representative body on our board, that we have women in that age group. And that will allow us to think about our programming to make sure that it's accessible for women in that age group, um, that they can find out about our programming, um, that we are really thinking about the needs. And so by having a representative board, we can uh, build trust in that community and we can make sure that our services are aligning and that we value these needs in the community. A diverse board, this representative can help us get to that point. Let's go back to my story about Panera. So. The folks sitting at the table in Prenera were making kind of a business case for diversity. They wanted to recruit board members by advertising to different groups um, and get you know, their numbers situated. Um, they weren't using a generative approach to board development. They weren't asking why might someone want to be on our board that looks different than us or has a different life experience than us. It really was about numbers and counting. Um, So if you look at the MPQ article on inclusion, they offer a typology, a typology of inclusion. And what this board sitting in Panera next to me was working towards was instrumental inclusion. Rather than transformational or relational inclusion. So transformational inclusion is going to get us kind of beyond having kind of face value of a diverse board. Um, it'll get us past uh, relationships and just kind of a cohesive and culture building. It'll take us to generative governance where we begin to have conversations about um, what it is that we're doing as an organization and as a board. So the board is diverse in meaningful ways that allow for both instrumental and relational inclusion to come together and have a transformational effect. So what changes do I need to make to make my board more diverse and to bring more people of color onto my board? Now we we know, you know, we talked earlier about how most board members over 80% of board members are white. Um, BoardSource did a survey of uh, people of color on serving on boards. So that was one of your assigned readings this week. And the first question they asked was, which of the following factors influenced your decision to serve on the board? And overwhelmingly, um, the response was around passion for the mission and opportunity to give back to the community. So if you have a board, it's made up of mostly white individuals and you're wanting to bring people of color in, this survey would indicate that your board needs to feel important to the folks that you are trying to recruit. The board or the mission needs to be important to each board member. So the survey went on to ask, to what extent um, did you feel accepted on the board? Um, Did you feel as a part of the board? And for the most part, um, the respondents said that they were encouraged to be themselves with fellow board members, and they had the same opportunities um, in leadership as other board members. But They also overwhelmingly reported that they were treated differently than other board members because of their race or ethnicity. And they responded that, um, that there's still a perception and misunderstanding that diverse boards cannot perform as well as non-diverse boards. And that's what's driving board interactions. Now there were experiences that positively shaped, shaped the experience of these people of color um, on their board, boards of directors. And board culture was the lead uh, positive factor, board culture and leadership opportunities. However, on the other side, the experiences that negatively, negatively shaped the board experience was also board culture, um, along with tokenism. Um, and access to power. So though, on the one hand, folks reported access to leadership opportunities, on the other hand, um, they also reported that there, there was a close inner circle of folks that hold held power within the board. Um, there was also a lack of uh, genuine commitment to diversity and inclusion. And feelings of isolation, being maybe the only person of color on the board. Uh, One reported being treated like a token, having decisions made by small groups of insiders and not being heard, being treated with condescension condescension, um, or as though they were invisible. So from thinking from a fiduciary perspective, um, the survey respondents reported that they've encountered a consensus that there needs to be diversity and a commitment to diversity. But when it came to strategically ensuring diversity on the board, there was kind of a, it kind of fell flat. There were a low number of policies to strategically recruit and engage people of color on the board. They also asked in the survey, to what extent do the activities um, around board recruitment and inclusion, and how are they effective in helping incorporate inclusive practices? So there were a range of strategic and generative approaches or activities. Um, so strategic approaches were things like actively recruiting board members from diverse, diverse backgrounds and assigning a mentor to these new board members. There were um, generative approaches that were more about including or incorporating diversity into the organization's core values and developing a diversity statement and creating a committee or task force dedicated to diversity and inclusion. Um, they did find the more fiduciary type responses where there's um, requiring training for each board member on diversity. They found those were not as effective of some, as things, uh, the more strategic approaches. And they reported, um, when one respondent said that we need to examine the motivation for being inclusive and determine if inclusion will help the board become more effective in its mission. Everything that we do in a nonprofit organization, whether it's on the board or in service provision, in our in managing our internal processes, everything needs to go back to the mission. And we need to think about how can a, divorce, a diverse board help us better reach our mission. So to the folks sitting next to me um, in Panera that day, um, had they asked for what steps uh, they could do to diversify their board in terms of race um, what they were doing was, what I observed they were doing and overheard, is that they were um, working towards recruitment strategies and communications that reflected the needs of communities of color. They were, they were attempting and trying to do those things, and they were expressing a commitment to diversity and inclusion. And these are all really good things. The things that were missing that I might recommend to them would be a formal process to assess board culture and identify barriers to inclusion, um, a process to identify and address discriminatory and non-inclusive behaviors, Just taking a step back, looking at what they're doing. Um, also, I recommend a detailed plan of action to become inclusive. So once you have recruited new mem- board members, um, then what? What is the plan? You need to think strategically. And also organizational policies and procedures that address diversity and inclusion. Quote Bradshaw and Fredette in their NPQ article on in- inclusivity, they say inclusivity is a culture-changing process and one that will bring a multitude of divergent logics and ideologies to bear on shared and sometimes divergent interests. Rather than construing this effort as simply providing a new seat at the table, genuine transformational inclusivity will result in a distinctly changed entity, one that balances permeable and responsive boundaries with achievement-oriented focus intended to meet the demands of the board and its mission. In this podcast, we reflected on diversity and transformational inclusivity. If you have questions or comments on the podcast, please leave messages through the app or the Anchor website.